coming home was the ambition, and uh, as I say, with all the, uh, you know, the bit of uh, spitefulness, a disappointment, you know, that it, uh, how it came about. But yeah, coming home was was always that ambition, and uh, you know, plenty, plenty of people ask the questions, you know, uh, why I never came there, you know, as first to start my professional career. But uh, hey, once uh, once it happened, absolutely delighted. Uh, the price tag itself, as everybody knew, it was a world record transfer fee. But uh, to be honest with you, you know, I never put the value. Uh, on my head for what uh, for what Leeds paid me, you know, a world record fee. So uh, it wasn't never going to be an issue with myself. And uh, as I say, handling pressure, handling big games, um, I knew exactly how big Leeds Rugby League Club was from uh, you know from being a supporter, I guess, as a kid. But uh, one challenge I was very much looking forward to. I knew what Leeds had brought me for, and I knew what there was missing, and that was a try scorer. And uh, and I say I set uh, I, when I first went there I signed uh, what a five-year contract and, uh, and I say I set my stone out to making sure I was going to score 20 tries a season. So that was a challenge in itself. And uh, and I say but I believed uh, in, in my own ability, but also too as well the teammates that was working around me. I knew themselves they would be creating them sort of chances for myself, for me. You know the, the nickname, you know the poacher. You know I was pretty confident that uh, I could get that 20, 20 tries a season. So hopefully. You know, make leads a success what they were looking for. Crowd claiming there for an obstruction as Brown came through, but referee allows play on. So all it's a Freeman on the sixth challenge and an interception from Schofield. Schofield goes in for the second try of the afternoon, straight under the sticks. Well, I think it's, it's the best, uh, you know, rugby league ground going. There's, 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 there's no doubt about that. And uh, you just get quite intimidating when uh, when you go there as, as an opposition player. But I'll tell you what, once the, uh, certainly once the South Standers get behind you and the respect what they had for me from, you know, from my debut, from the de my, my debut game, you know, certainly uh, against Auckland, it just made, it made me feel, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, yeah, this place is something special and I knew it was something special to be honest with you because I was a ball boy when the uh, the kangaroos came or I think back in, in 1979 and I was a ball boy at the right hand side where the south stand is there and I'll tell you what I knew what sort of noise I could make. I knew myself uh, just watching Leeds maybe just a couple of times in my, in my amateur days that uh, yeah Leeds played with a certain style they played with a certain brand and I think if you look at uh, you know certainly that back line in, in, in the 70s you know from uh, you what You've got your John Holmes and your Kevin Dixon. You look at them centres in in Cedar Hines and Leicester, and also two of the wingers in, in Atkinson and, and Smithy, and you know the full back there in Willie Holland. I tell you what, there was some class there, and there was some speed, and uh, yeah, I wanted to be uh, thinking. Well, I tell you what, if I could do half as good as them guys, well, I tell you what, the Leeds Rugby League fans will take to me very very quickly. Uh, hold my first club. I tell you what, that was pretty intimidating and daunting because. To be honest with you, when you looked at that dressing room with the quality of what they had in their dressing room, all full of internationals, you know, when you looked at the likes of David Toppers and Trevor Skerritt and Steve Norton and Mick Crane and obviously the Kiwi guys and the Young League Crooks and the Paul Rose, you know, they had plenty of quality themselves. But uh, I was used to that. I was used to that sort of, you know, in pressure, that intimidation from, uh, you know, from maybe uh, the international players and also to the experienced players. But uh, it's one what I totally enjoyed and I enjoyed being in that sort of environment. To be honest with you, the lads who was in that dressing room, I've known them for a few years, certainly the, you know, the likes of, of Dave Creasy and Dave Heron and I played with Carl Gibson, international uh, rugby there, and also two of the Aussies who was there at the time as well, played against them in Peter Tunks and Slippery Morris, and the same Marty Gale played against him at Manly and Peter Jackson as well, international level. So, so the dressing room wasn't, um, I would say, something that was going to be new to. I knew most of them players and I knew them as friends as well, I knew, knew them as mates. So, 
the transfer fee wasn't an issue and as I say the the dressing room quite simply it was as I mentioned it was like coming home because I knew the fellas if I hadn't played with him I knew him from mates from the area where I came from I guess I would have been uh, the marquee player and, and the marquee signing which I guess yeah may have put uh, it would have been uh, a little bit more pressure on there but uh, you know it maybe got a little bit uh, stick I guess from the dressing room because in them days there was some quite some characters in there and uh, yeah I guess the nickname would have been uh, you know a marquee, more like a tent going lad. The Porter title came, obviously, you know, because the situation was is that I always scored tries when I shouldn't have done. I, I was a right centre, and I think most of my tries was literally scored the left side, down the middle, very rarely, where I should have been in the right hand side. But I knew for sure that certainly a classy loose forward who we had in them days in, in Dever, and you know, he was very, very classy, very, very silky. And uh, all you had to do was read Dave because you always knew that he was always going to pass that ball. He was always looking, whether he made the yardage himself, he was always looking to pass that ball. So I learned it very, very quickly in my career from David Toppers and Steve Norton, early in my career at Hull, and uh, I knew they were looking for somebody to pass a ball to, to make them, make them look pretty good, but one thing for sure, if I knew they was looking to career, I was going to be under them, under them than passes. It's a reading of the game, uh, and, and, now, and, now, and now I found out how good these players were, was in training. It wasn't about the coaching, it wasn't coaches saying, listen, this is what he can do, this is what he can't do. I just watched the little things, what they did in training, and uh, as I say, at the end of the day, they were creative players, and all they wanted to do was create and get somebody at the end of a pass, and I thought to myself, hmm. I'm having some of that. Well, Gary Devordi is such a good footballer. He sizes up the opposition, he passes, he runs into tackles, he does an awful lot of with the ball. Goodness are in trouble. Perez, he tries, Schofield, bounce over. And that's the old Gary Schofield. We're playing again and, uh, you know, teaming up again uh, with my great mate, and uh, not just on the field, but also two off the field, Lee Crooks. It was, it was quite simply. Uh, like Markham and Wise, you know, that's what we was, you know, you, you can't have one without the other, and Crooksy will tell you that, you know, and uh, for a ball player who could get the ball away, not just around the man or just a simple pass, simple two and one, you know, passing the ground three or four inches off the ground uh, was something very special, and again, Crooksy knew exactly, left side, right side, if it, whichever side he passed the ball, he knew Scoy would be on the end of it, so it was just people used to say, well, was it telepathic? Did you read that? Well, I knew exactly what Crooksy was going to do, and he knew somebody would be at the side of him. And uh, yeah, he made uh, he made a hell of a lot uh, a lot of tries for me. But again, he was a quality footballer who just wanted somebody for his creative skills to be on the end of that pass. For himself, uh, Lee it was uh, disappointing that it didn't work out for him. But uh, yeah, he, he had a hard time at first, uh, as we all know that, and he would tell you exactly the same that uh, you know Leeds wasn't the club for him. But I tell you what. He, um, the first season may have struggled, but the second season he got the, all the awards, the players player, the supporters player, the coaches player there, so I tried my hardest uh, to keep him there, but unfortunately he, uh, he had a fallout with the chairman at, uh, at the time in Bernard Colby, Wardy tried his very best to keep him, I did, but unfortunately his mind was made up that uh, Leeds wasn't the club for him, I was usually disappointed because I knew exactly what he could bring um, to Leeds, but his mind was made up and there's nothing that we could have done to keep him. Wigan, uh, they, they were taken to a game to a new level and everybody was trying to catch up but um, at Leeds I don't really think it was a point where they was looking to, to take people full time because it was a huge cost, a huge cost and uh, I think people at Leeds uh, felt to themselves well, we're not prepared to take this risk as yet but as years went on, years went on, Wigan were going you know, so far ahead of everybody else and something had to be done about it and yeah we made some huge signings but um, 
we was getting a little bit closer. We was getting a little bit closer there. And uh, and by the way, in my time at Leeds, you know, I've gone through a few coaches, Maurice Bamford, Malcolm Reilly. At, uh, you know, Malcolm, from a point of view, only lasted 14 months. He may have turned it around if it had stayed there a little bit longer. But under David Ward, we was getting there. Even though it wasn't full-time, we was getting there because what Wardy brought to us was that passion, was that commitment. And he knew exactly what it meant to play for Leeds. He knew the team spirit what he had in that dressing room. And to say we was only part-time at the time, we wasn't too far off uh, of, of beating Wigan and competing with them to win that title. Now the set play, Delaney switching across. And that's a great drive from Cavill Hugh. He's got out of Shelford's tackle and he scored. A lot of today people you know, say that sports been about being tired, but uh, to be honest with you, and I mentioned this to uh, not just... A lot of uh, extra league players, but also a few sportsmen, you know, a few footballers who I know is that uh, we would rather play than train. Training is boring. Playing's far better. And uh, in our day, sometimes, you know, we, I can remember certainly uh, in my early career at Hull, we played three games in three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But uh, I never felt tired. I loved playing. And as I say, I preferred to play than, than train. And um, it was never an issue for me uh, about crying foul that uh, I don't really think I could perform today because I'm tired, because I just enjoyed going out there and uh, doing what I did best and that was trying to perform at the best of my ability scoring tries and entertaining crowds it was huge being asked to um, you know go out there and, and play for Balmain and uh, and I say I, I was I nearly went to uh, another side in Parramatta because uh, at Hull the, the legendary uh, Peter Sterling was at uh, was at Hull and he wanted me to go to Parramatta but unfortunately Parramatta asked the question or told me didn't ask they said you know we want you to come out here playing our reserve grade side well I was too good for reserve, you know. I'd had a full season at Hull into my second year there. Been on Great Britain tour, so no paramount for mine. I wasn't going to play reserve. But I tell you what, I would have loved to have played outside Kenny Sterling, Mick Cronin, Ray Price, Eric Grove at the side of me. I'm not saying Eric would have got too many passes to be honest with you. So that relationship might not have blossomed to be honest with you. But uh, no, Balmain was for me, and it was music to my ears when. I went out there and Frank Stanton just said exactly the same why Leeds signed me and you know Hull gave me a free reign was quite simple. You're here to score as tries, you've got a free reign and uh, it worked great because for the first season I finished up the top try scorer. Well you talk about the uh, the debut, I think there's uh, well, the three four memories. Um, getting my first try for Leeds was an interception from Gary Freeman. Schofield screaming for the ball on the inside. Powell just couldn't unload. Now Leeds play down the narrow side, quick slip by Herrem. He's got Schofield with him. Is Schofield going to score his debut? He's going away. But up as Jason and Schofield goes in. Then there was a huge brawl, which I think I nearly got sent off for because I didn't take part in it. You know, I think uh, myself and the other centre, we were just talking, so we nearly got sent off for cowardice. I know everybody's heard that, but there was two of us who wasn't involved in that. There's more trouble on in the centre field. Everybody's involved now. This is not what we want to see in rugby league. And then thirdly, when uh, when I got carried off, stretched it off, and uh, I went over on my ankle, did my ankle ligaments, and I was I was being carried down the south stand, and uh, the south stand was, you know, quite clear. You know, they were just saying, cancel that check, cancel that check. He's uh, he's knackered, and I was only 23 years of age, but that was the that was the uh, the spirit and the character of that south stand. But uh, great debut, two tries on my debut. That's what I was there for, to score tries, and and the Leeds fans took to me straight straight, straight away. Going back, um, as I say, to the Boulevard for the, uh, for the first time, and to be honest with you, people have said to me, "Listen, you know, it's not going to be uh, a very uh, a very nice experience for you." So I was I was prepared, 
and realizing yeah yeah i know i know i'm going to get a bit of stick but uh after five or ten minutes then everything will be okay um no it wasn't um off the bus as soon as i got straight off the bus there was people just literally in my face literally people spitting on me you know and quite i couldn't wait to get into the dressing room and then going out and in them days you just start the warm-ups as soon as i, I came up the little flight of stairs to go into the boulevard people were just waiting abusing and spitting uh for the full 80 minutes it was just literally abuse 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 half time going down there spat out coming back at full time exactly the same and then coming from the dressing room uh get to getting them back on the bus and to be honest with you i didn't even go into the bar after for a bite to eat or or a pint with the lads because uh, the abuse was there and even from the dressing room to get onto the bus going home you know i was just literally the fans into my face spitting and just literally full abuse I was prepared for some abuse, I was prepared for, you know, abuse, but quite clearly it was hurtful and uh, I felt very disrespectful. It was all preparation, making the right sacrifices and, uh, you know, t as we know in our days, you know, it was training Tuesday nights, Thursday, Saturday morning, so when training was at half past six, I was always at training between half past five, quarter to six, Saturday mornings, if it was half past ten, it would be half past nine, quarter to ten there, yeah, so, so yeah, because I'm a big believer, me, and uh, not just in sport, I guess in life from a point of view, you get the little things right, it brings a bigger picture. Mal uh, at the time was the, was a Great Britain coach and uh, as I say just for, for somebody to come um, with that experience from a point of view uh, as a player and, and, and as a coach and, and, and certainly turning the international side around yeah, and the big names what we had at Leeds and you know some of, some of the egos he was just something what we needed at, uh, at the time. Great start you know great start and also too we had a quality number six and only Clifford Lyons you know how, how good was was Cliff Lyons and he, he made the side tick and yeah Malcolm had a great start but unfortunately for Mal um, as we all know you know it's great player as a coach at you know Manly and at Castleford and Leeds is a big city club and unfortunately for Malcolm I think Malcolm will tell you exactly the same as well you know he took his time to settle I don't think he really enjoyed it there and um, for the 14 months what he was there we had the Yorks Cup success the consistency was a bit of a problem as well, um, I think the big deciding point was I think we, we played with us at the quarter final, 27,000 there, and Malcolm was fully, fully, you know, off the field prepared. It did, it took us away to Harrogate. We performed absolutely miserably, and I just felt at the time Malcolm felt, well, I don't really think I could get the best out of this squad here. Second season started, played away at Barrow, and uh, you could see it in there he wasn't enjoying it, and unfortunately uh, we lost him. But uh, one thing for sure, it was an enjoyable experience working for him at Leeds as a club manager, but as I say, even better international level. That's what I was brought to, to Leeds for to try and you know win him win him silverware. Well, first of all, get him to finals, you know, and uh, I think Leeds at times you know may have got to some semi-finals and and not got on with the job, but um, you know playing against that that Wigan time there at the Old Burnham Park and uh, we all muck and crooks it got carried off I think in about the first four or five minutes a huge blow to ourselves but I think again it just showed the team spirit uh, what we had I think the Australians certainly Peter Tunks and Jacko they had the best games and uh, I scored uh, a try at the, at the end there but I think Paul Medley I mean the super sub what, what he was at that time for Leeds and just coming through, through the ranks and he, he had pace to burn Maskell behind the play of the ball to Tonks, Tonks moving it across. Wigan move the forward and Leeds are over. Leeds are under. He came away that day, but yeah, the try that I scored uh, under, under the sticks uh, certainly got uh, huge, uh, huge memories. And 
I think on that day, I got the better of Kevin Arrow. Didn't happen too often. Didn't happen too often, but uh, yes, yeah, certainly in the memory bank of not just scoring the try, but uh, the great duel with Kevin Arrow had that day. Gerard Schofield, Schofield made a break, come for the line. Oh, the beautiful try by Schofield. He licked up from all ends up from the play of the ball. Old Central Park, uh, which was a great, great uh, place to play the finals against St. Helens. Uh, we got beat 15-14, but um, I'm not one to complain about officials and referees, but uh, Paul Lockland scored two tries that day, and uh, his second try, if uh, if it had been in today's game, as we all know with the video referees, it would have been disallowed because it was a double movement, but hey. Uh, yeah, I, th I think so, they're allowing the, uh, the runners to gain a lot of ground, it's always problems tackling a big fellow. That's a good ball, but knocks it all is it a try? Yes, it is. Forward momentum. That's the ruling. The record books tell you, don't they? St. Helens beat us 15-14, but uh, it was the uh, the way forward for Leeds, not just get to semi-finals, get into finals, but we just needed to, um, to get over that hurdle by starting winning trophies. Everybody knows, um, from Roy's point of view, everybody needs a Roy Powell on the team. Um, Roy's nickname at times was the vacuum cleaner because he just swept everything up. You know, if any, if anybody wanted to do the donkey work, Roy was there for it. If anybody had to put his head in somewhere, Roy was the man for it. If you wanted anybody to take the ball up, Roy Powell was there for you. And uh, every team, whichever era what you played in, even for you going back from the from the fifties to, to the present day, everybody needed Roy Powell. As we all know, with the Yorkshire Cup, it was you know the, the battle of uh, you know bragging rights. You know, not just here in Yorkshire. We all know over the side of Pennines, Lancashire is exactly as well. And uh, yeah, and, and, and the memory of that was quite clear. The semi-final, we played my own club, the Black and Whites, and uh, I think if we can remember the big Australian cat we, uh, in Big Sam Bacco, well, I think Sam would tell you, apart from scoring a try in that semi-final from three yards, he was quite useless for us, to be honest with you. He was, he was quite useless, but uh, the memory of what Sam will tell you, I got you to the Yorkshire Cup and uh, you won it, and he came off the bench there and had a bit of an input. But, uh, yeah, that's the memory, certainly, of the semi, but the, the Yorkshire Cup final, you know, we got off to a great start, didn't we? It's, it doesn't fight me for saying this, but I always say it every time. Grant Anderson, he gave me the best pass I've ever received from anybody. I've received some passes from Crooks, from Norton, from Sterling, from the likes of Cliff Lyons, but uh, Grant Anderson that day, straight in the bread basket. Plenty of space on this side for Castleford, but it's an interception, and Scottfield's away! Can Scottfield go all the way? He's got Chapman chasing him. He's going for the corner. Chapman won't catch him. It's a try by Gary Schofield. 75 yards down the field gave us a great start in that cup final. And as we say, when you look at this Yorkshire Cup, I still think they should be brought back. The Yorkshire-Lancashire Cups, I know people are humming and hour. Well, we played too many games, but I tell you what, the crowd that day between Leeds and Castle for 27,000 at Ellen Road, what a great memory. And we've got some 20, sorry, some 14 minutes of the first half remaining. Lee Crooks, Crooks has got Spencer with him. Spencer's going for the gap, throws it out to Schofield, and Schofield is going to score. Ellen Road, uh, as we say, once you get uh, the thousands of people in there who came to watch us, yeah, it's a great atmosphere because people are close here and they're on top. And just going back to that Yorkshire Cup final again, Mal really was a great motivator, but I tell you what, we didn't need didn't motivate in uh, that game because their coach, an Australian coach in Dallas Vanderbilt, 
did the motivation for this because quite simply Castleford had a great start that season they were top of the league flying high and Darrell van der Velt's words were quite simple was hey listen we're not worried about Leeds we're here to win this game and we're going to win the game that was our motivation down at Weldon Road again another another ground which is uh, you know brilliant atmosphere and, and, and as I say and uh, again that had a, a happy happy memory but, happy, but also too during the game I got, I got Simbin because um, I took an interception again from uh, John Joyner and I went 75 yards and as I've got scored the try I'm absolutely delighted and Phil, Phil Ford come, comes up to me and he says Scoey calm down I went calm down I said what a great start we've got an interception he went he's disallowed it you what he's disallowed it so as I'm running back I'm steaming I'm steaming and I can't repeat the words exactly what I said to Jim Smith I can't repeat the words because it was a touch judge who disallowed it but one thing for sure my own mucker Lee Crooks because he was playing for Casford now at this time he was just saying to Jim Smith sir sir put him in the sim bin don't let me speak to you like that and I can't repeat what I said to Lee Crooks as well to mind his own little business and Jim Smith just gave me the yellow card and uh, put me in the sim bin which was a fair try but as you mentioned Phil yeah I got me unjust rewards because I scored the try well I think there's about two minutes to go the best the best moment you would see when you see David Ward's reaction to that in the dugout I get goosebumps talking about it now because it meant so much to emotion but the great satisfaction was I scored it dived under Lee Crooks pushed him out of the way and I just said mm, that's because he had 10 minutes in the sim bin the Boulevard intimidating players and they were playing quite well at the time and greatly led by uh, Greg Mackey who unfortunately is uh, no longer with us but uh, tell you what we was in control of that game and uh, you'd uh, the memories not just for all the players but all the Leeds fans were there yeah a certain John Gallagher quite simply people were saying he was the best fullback in the world not in my eyes he wasn't and quite simply as fullbacks there wasn't a lot of pressure put on him, he was supposed to jump for the ball and one of their smallest men on the field just didn't even jump, took the ball, scored the try under the H's, Premiership gone for us, only one person to blame, that's John Gallagher, you couldn't blame, you couldn't blame David Ward, uh, you couldn't blame any of the players, it was one player who was there to do his job what he was paid to do and he let us down badly. Leeds bringing the ball, attacking the halfway line, Schofield and Lloyds for Mercer. Kevin Iro has unloaded. Leads are going. It's Jim Fallon. Jim Fallon will not be tackled. This will be a tremendous try. Have a look at that. Well, what can you say? There's one of the tries of the season. So everybody uh, knows throughout the game what the uh, what the Man of Steel means, and um, there's a story to that as well because um, the sponsors of it was. Uh, the main sponsor at, uh, at Leeds Rugby League Club at the time, and I, and I wasn't invited by the RFL. It came through uh, came through Leeds, and our chief executive at the time, Alf Davis, says, "Scott, we'd like you to you know to be to come to the uh, to come to the Man of Steel as our guest and, and with a sponsor." So I said to him, "Well, Alf, I can't because I'm going to the boxing. Tom Collins was fighting in Leeds at the uh, the town hall at the time." So I said, "I can't go." I said, "Well, listen, you know, we'd like you to come." So anyway, uh, I was saying to my uh, my wife uh, Adele, "So listen, you know." I've been invited to the uh, the Manchester, but we're not going. You know, we're going to the uh, we're going to the boxing. And it was Adele who said, "Listen, if Alf asks you to go, you're the captain of the club. We've got to go to the Man of Steel." So I said, "Well, all right, we'll see about it." We was in the town hall tavern, where, as you know, as people will well know, certainly Leeds fans, that uh, it was a nice nice place where fans and, and rugby league players and certainly the Leeds players went after games. And we was in there at six o'clock, and Adele said, "Listen, 
we need to go to Manchester now. So I said, we're going over to the boxing. And at quarter past six, she said, right, we're going to Manchester now. So I said, okay then, but I'm only going because you've pestered me and we're going for, um, for Alf Davis and the sponsors. And when I got into the hotel, it was about half past seven when I arrived there and I could, I, I sensed David Howes at the time, who, who was the, uh, the commercial guy, a bit of a sense of relief. Anyway, cut a long story short, when they read it out that this player who's won the, uh, the Man of Steel, and it's over a 12 year period in them time, you know, the record of what I created and the way I played in New Zealand. And I looked and I thought, that's me. But quite luckily, I attended there and it was down to Adele how I picked up the Man of Steel award in attendance because if it wasn't for her, I'd have been at the boxing. And it would have been quite interesting what the Rugby Football League would have done if the Man of Steel hadn't turned up and I was at the boxing at the town all in Leeds. Any semi-finals will tell you it's not, uh, it's not how you perform, it's just get the result, isn't it? And, um, you know, it has been mentioned that, you know, we made 300 tackles in that game. Uh, I can reassure you, I bet you I didn't make uh, about six of them, to be honest, because tackling wasn't, wasn't my game. But yeah, it was a great team effort. You know, the pressure was on us because, you know, it was always nearly the nearly men and, uh, you know, we, we all know the the big names we had, in, you know, myself and Ellery and Craig Guinness, Kevin Iron and, and, the, and the guys there. So the pressure was really on us and the relief what you could see, um, not just from the players, but also too from... Um, all the directors and the supporters because it had been a long time between drinks since we got there and it was a huge, huge relief. Well, I thought it was the last tackle of the sequence, but obviously not. Leeds play it again. Schofield. Oh, it's held up right on the line. Big gap opened and it was uh, quickly closed. Richiers. No, is it? Yes. The try's given. Richiers. 16 minutes to the final hooter. Next score could win it. Mercer, he's run tirelessly onto Ayrault. Long ball there is. Oh, Welting. Welting by Tate. Oh, support from Hanley. Hanley going from the line. Oh, a try from Hanley. He's G and his troops up. They all know what it means. Lucrative trip to Wembley. Oh, a bad ball from Schofield. But Welting out to Cummins. Innis took it well. Cummins has it. Support inside from Iro. It's over. That look forward to Hanley, but it's all over. It's all over now. The fascinating thing about the Wembley in uh, in '94 was, yeah, we was usually underdogs, and I think the celebration had, ta had, had been taken because we we'd achieved what we got, and everybody. And it was quite strange because everybody at the club, certainly from a direct supporters, wasn't expecting us to win, so we were all relaxed. We was totally relaxed. Hurts and Motters, he takes it. Bodica to a fire. A fire beats Harmon. He's through. He's made a gap in. He can't get to him. He's turning down the field. He only has the fullback to beat. And he lines up Tate. And he leaves Tate for dead as he goes round him on the outside. And that is a fantastic try to a fire. In the end, we was unlucky. We was unlucky not to win. There was just a couple of little minor things where, you know, if it had gone our way, we may have won. I'm not saying we would have won, but, but we may have won. But... The celebration all, overall had been done in the semi-final and after, you know, it wasn't uh, a dour or a, a very, very sombre mood because everybody was delighted that we just got there, which you found a bit strange. The celebration party after, as though we won, our, our sponsors at the time was huge. They put a huge celebration, there was about 300 people at the hotel after. So it was, well, you know, as though we won it and we hadn't. 85 has, uh, you know, has been mentioned. The usually disappointing, the, the, you know, the, the biggest disappointing thing in my career being dropped uh, 
for 85 but yeah yeah uh, I wanted to make sure I want to sample that atmosphere again and there's nothing like it you know coming at, at the old the old Wembley as, as it was there coming through the tunnel seeing all the fans you're there an hour and a half before there's about 8,000 people and you come out there at what in them days it was a three o'clock kick have you come at 20 to three and you're just seeing all these people in the raw and it's an experience i get goosebumps now talking about it it's an experience you know you've got to you've got to uh, experience to really appreciate uh, what it does mean but i can tell you what losing at wembley is though the worst experience ever because you know um you know, fans don't stay there, they don't celebrate uh, with the opposition fans, and rightly so, the media don't want to know you, you know, and then it's all very, very uh, sombre at the time from there, but as I say, in 94, it was as if we'd uh, we'd won it, because they were just delighted that we got there after so many years. 95 uh, was usually different, because the expectation to the year before was, yeah, Leeds are going to win this, Leeds are going to win this, and our performance was pathetic. And Wigan, we talked about absorbing pressure. Here they are coming back. Oh, and Jason Robinson! A magnificent run! Completely splits the Leeds defence! Wonderful try! The pressure was on, and we couldn't handle the pressure. It was the pressure what wasn't a relaxed pressure. It was a pressure where players themselves thinking, well, we can't beat Wigan. Last year we were happy because we got here. And when the pressure really was on, uh, they couldn't handle it. it. It was as simple as that. And yeah, all the uh, um, you know the about the all the rubbish what was going on with the Super League and the payments was a distraction. You know because I could say myself, you know, it was a distraction for myself. You're hearing what players, you know, were getting put in the bank accounts, players being paid, this players who was going to get it, players who wasn't. And I know our captain, uh, you know, Ellery was totally. And I know exactly, you know, exactly after the game. Uh, what he said to a certain Mr. Lindsay, you know, uh, regarding all this rubbish, what was going on. But I uh, say, so going to the game, now nah, we uh, we just didn't perform, and quite clearly, the expectation, what was put on us, quite clearly, we didn't handle the pressure, and Wigan fully deserved it. Close to that line as the French referee keeps a very close eye on things. Here's Schofield, the captain. Oh, he's found his way through himself. The bar tour in uh, in '83, I was very uh, lucky to to meet the captain, and uh, and I was the youngest uh, youngest member of that touring party as well. And we had some we had some brilliant players, and uh, I think as we all know, went to meet a great name for themselves in the press of game. You know, Derek Fox, uh, David Crease, and Mike Ford, Gary Devotee, John Allen, Richie Ayres, and you know, I think. I think out of that squad, I think 26 of us, you know, signed on pro the Cumbria lads in Mike Smith, Brian Thomason. And what it learned me was um, my management skills. And uh, I was I was, I was, dis I was disciplined and respectful of myself. And one thing that I made sure was, we made sure we, we, uh, we respected our team management. And if the team management said we was at training at 10 o'clock, we was all there 15 minutes before. If we had a team meeting, we made sure it was 15 minutes before. And uh, at a very young age, it taught me all about respect, certainly. For people who respected you and in our coaches in Ray Clark, Kenny Everson, they had the full respect of their captain which also as well they had the full respect of their players and what that meant was we went down there as huge underdogs because we uh, we got beat by France uh, at Barley Moor which nobody gives a cat in hell. The Aussies schoolboys didn't want us, they didn't think we was good enough. We went over to New Zealand totally as underdogs but we've, we've come back as the best touring side that's left these shores to go down under. We've, uh, we won seven out of the eight games, so it was a great learning curve for myself, uh, being a captain and taking responsibility of uh, of young men, for so many of us going away for the first time, going away overseas. What uh, what happens is you meet different cultures, you know, and certainly the New Zealand culture is certainly different to the Australian one. It's certainly different to uh, 
the English culture there, and and that, that's what it does, and it brings it brings a different sort of I would say mentality and enjoyment for yourself because you want to sample these, you want to meet new people, you want to express yourself in a way that, that you want to do, and one one philosophy I've always had, and certainly when when I went to play in rugby league was. I wasn't going to go over there and think, well, we don't do this in England. We don't do that in England. You get into their lifestyle straight away. You get into their lifestyle. And uh, once you do that, they will accept you quickly as what to what you want to do. And that's exactly what I did. And certainly um, for my teammates on the Balotor, when it was when I went playing club football uh, in Australia, and let's not forget here, they had some, they had some quality tenassos in Wayne Pierce, Steve Roach, Ben Elias, Paul Sinan and Gary Jack. You know, they took me on board. Plus, as well, they had the international coach in Frank Stanton. They took me on board as though I'd been part of that Balmain team for, for two or three years. But due to the fact, I got into their lifestyle as quickly as possible. Well, 84 uh, for the tour. Very, very surprised because I'll tell you the reason why. I remember my test debut against France uh, in January that year. And I had an absolute stinker. Absolute nightmare. It was the worst game I've ever played in. The worst performance of myself I'd say maybe in my, in my international career most certainly it was a 10-0 victory against France freezing cold Friday nights David Hobbs kicked five goals out, at, uh, out of five to make it 10-0 so that just tells you what sort of game it was and as I said I had a nightmare but the good thing about it was uh, Frankie Myler was a coach at the time and I was a top try scorer so far in the, in the league in January with John Basnett and great credit to Frank and uh, his man management again just quite simple was, hey, listen, I know you've not played well tonight, but you're far better player than that. Just keep doing what you're doing till the end of the season and we'll see what happens. And what happened was, I got picked as the youngest British line that's ever left these shores beating the great Alex Murphy. 84, from a point of view, putting myself on the international map. Um, yeah, I scored a decent try in the first test. And, uh, you know, just, you know, I got moved to scrum half after about 20 minutes. Neil Holden, who was a scrum half, went off and... Everybody looked round to say, who's going to go to scrum half? We haven't got anybody on the, on the bench because unfortunately Andy Gregg wasn't you know, playing too well, so he wasn't selected. So I just I just put my hand up uh, and I say uh, the first test there, pass it from dummy half and Desi Dumman did what he did best and I just managed to be on the end of it go 20 yards. But yeah, the second test in Brisbane, certainly the best try that I have ever, ever scored, not just as a professor, but as an amateur as well. The mighty Aussies, you know, and at the end of the day, it was just an old British way, let the ball do the work, let the ball, play a, play a bit of off the cuff for bleed, you know, they don't expect that, you know, starting it, uh, you know, Brian Noble and Mickey Adams and Tony Marron to me, me on to Desi Drummond, Desi back to me, me to Andy Goodway, Andy Goodway onto myself, I take some curry balls at 20 metres out and scores in the corner, you can tell I watch it, you can tell I watch it maybe daily or week in and week out, but uh, yeah, certainly, um, my test career, well, obviously Melbourne 92 is the top one, but scoring that try is certainly uh, the second one. And I was very, very lucky to be um, playing in that second test because uh, I got blamed by the coach who was then Maurice Bamford. Uh, New Zealand beat us 24-22 and uh, Derek Fox put a kick down, put kick downtown as I called it in them days and Maurice blamed me, I didn't move up quickly enough and uh, in no uncertain words, you know, you may not be picked for the second test. Anyway, I was and the rest is history quite clearly all, all I did that day was support Tony Myler and support Ellery and also to John Fieldhouse again who was a good ball on the forward supported him players scored the record tries four and uh, shut, a few, shut a few people up and uh, made sure that Maurice making sure that he was going to pick me for the third test moving to uh, stand up happened just by uh, by chance really because it happened in, in 89 we 
uh, David Ward quite clearly uh, didn't feel as though I was being used properly uh, in the sense I wasn't getting opportunity there was no creativity there so he said how do you fancy playing at the six so I said oh yeah, yes please yeah yeah I've learned so much off watching people you know the people who, who I've watched at number sixes and halfbacks you know certainly uh, with the likes of David Toppers, as you mentioned, Tony Myers and Andy Gregory's, and when you look at the Green and Golds and the Brett Kennys and the Peter Sterlings, and you know, and, and, and these likes, and uh, as I say, it was it was a great challenge for myself, and one that one that I took upon. Um, and what I learned from then, guys, was as a halfback, you you got to be patient. You don't need to touch the ball in every set of six. Develop a bit of kicking game, have a bit of vision and a bit of awareness, and that's what I learned from them guys. It wasn't any coaching. It wasn't anybody, you know, saying to me, "This is where you need to be on that field." It was having that vision and awareness. As I say, I mentioned all them great players. That's what they had, and that's what I picked up on. My test debut at standoff in in 1990 against New Guinea uh, was an absolute disaster. Quite simply because. First time Great Britain being beaten by Papua New Guinea. The only other time they're beaten by Papua New Guinea, and, and quite clearly, and um, I got absolutely hammered for it. And you know what? And rightly so, because I had an absolute nightmare. I should never have ever played standoff again uh, for Great Britain, according to the press. I should never have ever played standoff again for all the British people who was there watching. But again, all that man management and the coach, Malcolm, really. And Malcolm, when we got back to the hotel, just took me aside quite simple question was he just said to me Scully can you play standoff so I said yeah I can Malcolm yeah why he just said well listen just let me tell you you're the main man on the field on that pitch music to my ears the rest is history the second test we went on to the wall up the cumbles I think it was about 48-16 and then absolutely tore New Zealand apart to, in the test series there uh, in 1990 so I tell you what um, if I'd listened to the press what they said I would never have ever not just play standoff again for Great Britain. I would never have ever play standoff again for for anybody the way it was. But I never took my bat and ball on because do you know why? Everybody was right. I had an absolute stinker. Wembley, um, 1990. Uh, quite clearly, we was uh, we were very buoyant. Uh, you know, after beating the Kiwis in '90, but uh, some of the big boys w was coming back as well. They didn't go on the tour to to Papua New Guinea, New Zealand. So some of the big boys were coming back. You know, Gregory and. Edwards and, and obviously the Pearl himself so yeah we were, we, were, we, we were pretty confident we were ready we were ready for the Aussies we were very very confident that uh, the Aussies might be coming home and then I think when you looked at that crowd at Wembley they believed that as well didn't they and I think when you looked at that uh, that performance it was uh, very very special and it started off straight from the kickoff where Ellery himself you know and, and the Aussies winced about it they winced about it when we kicked off and uh, Ellery always put the Vaseline on his knees, stacks of Vaseline on his knees, covered the ball, the old Puma ball, if you can remember them days, covered the ball in Vaseline, and uh, unfortunately it wasn't allowed to do it again because they cottoned on, and uh, the referee always expected the ball before I kicked it off. So just a little smart move, getting the little things right brings a bigger picture, but the performance itself, yeah, it's a sensation, and uh, very, very close again in that, in that Ashes series. Schofield. Hanley. The ship kick, can he take it himself? Oh, good tackle there by Hancock. He's just short, but Great Britain on the line. He's won, he's over, yes! What's the fire going to do? Will he kick this and chase himself? No, Hanley will. That's well placed, Belcher's underneath it, he's lost it, the fire's over! Now the one point's very valuable, that would have been a very valuable one-pointer that Gregory attempted. And that it is, it's there, that's good thinking, that's good play.
13 points to six now. Bet. Schofield, now then, can he get the bounce? Oh, he's got Gareth Powell with him. Out to Eastwood. Is Paul Eastwood in the corner? He is. Melbourne 92, uh, and I say how, how close we came, uh, you know, in 90, we all know, you know the old Trafford, and then obviously they walloped us in, in the third test, that was all about handling pressure, but uh, again in 92, you know, we went out very, very confident, and uh, the big story of it was, you know, we picked, I think, 14 Wigan players, and... Uh, Eight to ten thousand British fans were coming out. They had the belief that yeah, yeah, this is this is a time when Great Britain's going to get the Ashes. And uh, the first test we played quite well, even though the scoreboard didn't tell you that. If Martin himself had Martin had found himself and had scored two try, Andy Etienne had caught him from behind twice. I don't think anybody's ever seen that again. But uh, yeah, yeah, the first test, you know, a little bit lucky. The scoreboard wouldn't say that. I think we got beat about 24, 24 six, 24 eight. But the second test in Melbourne, I tell you what, I get, again, you talk about goosebumps. We're on the bus going down there and we've seen all these English fans and, you know, we've seen the regiment down there, which was part of the Roy Dickinson team. Everybody knows, you know, Roy Dickinson, the legend of the Leeds front row. And you could just get that sense. And, um, yeah, Prince's Park, Melbourne, the quietest session room for the preparation. We knew what the job in hand was. As soon as we came out there, we saw all the red, white and blue. And I tell you what, 20, 22 and at half time, we come into the dressing room and it's like uh, like I'm sat here now, just sort of quiet. And the quietest team talk I've ever had from a coach, Malcolm really quite simple. The same again, lads. That's all it was. Second half started, put, put a drop goal over. But yeah, the green and goals then. They started coming back, didn't they? And everybody was saying, here we go again. Here we go, superior fitness, superior skill. But we managed to hold on. And uh, I say in the end, we scored more points than them in the second half. World record score, 33-10. Will that happen again? Mm, I don't think so, to be honest with you. But uh, I tell you what, <laughs> the celebrations that night were they overboard? I tell you what, no, there wasn't. Because I'll tell you the reason why. We couldn't believe what had happened, and uh, I say the memory, the memory, is there in the memory bank until uh, until I go. Unfortunately, the third test, um, and it's not an excuse. And I, and I explain this to some people because our competition over here is nowhere near as intense as what it is in Australia. Yeah, if, the, if, if, if the test match would have been. A week later, yeah, we'd, we'd have took the Aussies. We would have took the Aussies. And they were very happy that the third test was only a week away because they wanted to get back on the horse. And they wanted to put the things right that didn't go well at Melbourne. And yeah, by the way, as well, the Aussies didn't give much credit for that second test. They, they blamed the weather, they blamed the stud size, everybody was chipping over and this sort of thing. So anyway, that's... Uh, that's uh, that's where they are at times when they get their backsides kicked at times. But um, but yeah, the third test came a week early for us. Not an excuse because, as I say, they their competition even to this day, you know, is far more intense than what I was. And the menace himself, a big mal, you know, and as I say, Laurie Daly was in there, and a few they were fit, like, you know, all the all the legendary Aussies, and big mal again put his stamp on because let's not forget, you know, the Aussies have have had the asses now since 1970, and they didn't want to let them go, did they? But uh, yeah, again. For ourselves, so near, but yet so far. The World Cup final in uh, in '92 there at Wembley, and uh, everything was going great guns for us, and very very confident. But then, unfortunately, uh, 
I think it was uh, Paul Newlove who had to pull out, and so I, I was going to be standoff there. Anyway, I got moved from standoff to centre, and we, uh, Sean and Derek there, and, and no disrespect to the two boys, but the creativity wasn't there, and our performance realistically was was boring. You know, we we, we couldn't create no, and uh, I think if you ask Malcolm really, if if you asked him to say, would would he have moved me from six to centre? No, he would he, he would have kept me there, but hey. Um, maybe a couple more centres wanted up to the task so that's what obviously I played centre before and international level so that's why he put me there but you know so we was, I think we was leading 6-4 half time but again it was you know to that menace himself not this time Meninga but Steve Renoff and uh, one thing you don't do with quality players and you're told this is a school kid don't show them the outside and as we all know it was and you know who you was John Devereaux you know exactly who you was the rugby union player got like Steve Renoff get on the outside of him and we all know what a quality player Renoff was straight on the outside straight in the corner Big Mal the menace again the menace again kicks it from a sideline 10-6 the Aussies close shop we could get back into the game and again another one so near yet so far well when I got the 46 caps and when I uh, when I got it at Ellen Road in, in 1994 and I was on the bench at the time and uh, I think it was Clark who, who got injured he was playing at standoff and he got injured I think in the first 18-20 minutes and I tell you what, it wasn't a matter of Ellery looking on the bench who it was. I got rid of my tracks and I, got, and I was getting there and <laughs> I was getting on that field, whatever, whatever happened. And uh, no, if anybody would have said to me um, as an eight-year-old when I started out, you know, playing this great game at uh, Clapgate School under the legendary, you know, Ali Jepson there and uh, Roy Dugan, my coach, and at the end of it equaled the legendary Mick Sullivan's record of 46 Great Britain caps, as you mentioned then, a record for Great Britain tours. Uh, to be honest with you, I'd have said, no, you're nuts. It's like anything, everybody will tell you, yeah, making your debut for your first team, making your debut for your county team, and then making your debut for your national team. If you only do it once, people say, yeah, I'd be delighted. I'll tell you what, I'm more than delighted with the, uh, the record holder with the great Mick Sullivan. A new space on this side for Castleford, but he's an interception, and Scottfield's away! Best Scottfield go all the way! He's got Chapman chasing him! He's going for the corner, Chapman won't catch him. It's a try by Gary Schofield. 